Chapter Eighteen of Gretchen by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen, Arthur and Jerry. Arthur had passed a restless night. Thoughts of Gretchen had troubled him, and two or three times he had started up to listen, thinking that he heard her calling to him from a distance. He had dreamed also of the blue hood seen that day of the funeral, and of the child who had come knocking at his door, whom he had refused to admit he had never seen her since and had never mentioned her of his own accord even mrs crawford seemed to have passed completely from his mind he never went to the cottage or near it he never went anywhere in fact but lived the life of a recluse growing thinner and paler and more reticent every day talking now but seldom of gretchen though he never arose in the morning or retired at night without kissing her picture and whispering to it some words of tenderness in german he had measured the length of his three rooms and dressing-room and found it to be nearly one hundred feet so that by passing back and forth twenty-five times he would walk almost a mile regularly each morning when it was not too cold or stormy he would throw open his windows and take his daily exercise which was but a poor substitute for what he might have had in the fresh air outside but was nevertheless much better than nothing on this particular morning when harold and jerry were at the park he was taking his walk as usual though very slowly for he felt weak and sick and so inexpressibly lonely and desolate that it seemed to him he would gladly lie down and die if i knew gretchen was dead nothing would seem so desirable to me as the grave he was saying to himself when the sound of voices outside attracted his attention and going to the window he saw the children harold in the top of the tree and jerry at the foot with her white sunbonnet shading her face recognizing harold he guessed who the little girl was and a strange feeling of interest stirred in his heart for her as he said poor little waif i wonder where she came from or what will become of her then resuming his walk he forgot all about the little waif until startled by a voice which rang clear and bell-like through the rooms mr crazy man mr crazy man don't you want some cherries it was not so much the words as something in the tone the foreign accent the ring like a voice he never could forget and which the previous night had called to him in his dreams and now it was calling again from the adjoining room which no one could enter without his knowledge mentally weak as he was and apt to be superstitious his limbs shook and his heart beat faster than its wont as he went toward his sleeping apartment from which the voice came louder and more peremptory mr crazy man where are you i've brought you some cherries he had reached the door by this time and saw the pail on the broad window ledge where jerry had put it and to which she was clinging with her white sunbonnet just in view oh gretchen how did you get here he said bounding across the floor with no thought of jerry in his mind no thought of any one but gretchen whom he was constantly expecting to come though not exactly in this way i climbed the ladder to fetch you some cherries and i'm standing on the top of stick jerry said craning her neck until her bonnet fell back disclosing to view her beautiful face flushed with excitement and her bright wavy hair which moist with perspiration clung in masses of round curls to her head and forehead great heaven arthur exclaimed as he stood staring at the wide open blue eyes confronting him so steadily who are you and where did you come from i'm jerry and i comed from the carpet-bag in the tramp-house take me in won't you jerry said 
and mechanically leaning from the window arthur took her in while harold from below looked on horror-stricken with fear as to what the result might be if jerry was left alone with a madman who did not like children he may kill her i must tell the folks he said and going round to the side door he entered without knocking and asked for mrs tracy but she was not at home and so he told the servants of jerry's danger and begged them to go to her rescue pshaw he won't hurt her charles will come pretty soon and i'll send him up don't look so scared he is harmless the cook said to harold who in a wild state of nervous fear went back to the cherry trees where he could listen and hear the first scream which should proclaim jerry's danger but none came and could he have looked into the room where jerry stood he would have been amazed as arthur lifted jerry through the window and put her down upon the floor he said to her take off that bonnet and let me look at you she obeyed and stood before him with an eager questioning expression in her blue eyes which looked at him so fearlessly arthur knew perfectly well who she was but something about her so dazed and bewildered him that for a moment he could not speak but regarded her with the hungry wistful look of one longing for something just within his reach but still unattainable do you like me jerry asked at last like you he replied yes why did you not come to me sooner and stooping he kissed the cherry-stained mouth as he had never kissed a child before sitting down upon the lounge he took her in his lap and said to her again who are you and where did you come from i know your name is jerry which is a strange one for a girl and i know you live with mrs crawford but before that night where did you live where did you come from out of the carpet-bag in the tramp-house i told you that once jerry said harold found me i am his little girl he is out in the cherry tree and said i must not come up because you were crazy and would hurt me you won't hurt me will you and be you crazy hurt you no he answered as he parted the rings of her hair from her brow i don't know whether i am crazy or not they say so and perhaps i am when my head is full of bumblebees oh jerry gasped drawing back from him can they get out and will they sting arthur burst into a merry laugh the first he had known since he came back to shannondale jerry was doing him good there was something very soothing in the touch of the little warm hands he held in his and something puzzling and fascinating too in the face of the child he did not think of a likeness to any one he only knew that he felt drawn toward her in a most unaccountable manner and found himself wondering greatly who she was harold told me there were pictures and marble folks up here with nothing on and everything and that's why i comed that and to bring you some cherries i like pictures can i see them jerry said yes you shall see them arthur replied and he led her into the room where gretchen's picture looked at them from the window oh my jerry exclaimed with bated breath ain't she lovely is she god's sister and folding her hands together she stood before the picture as reverently as a devout catholic stands before a madonna it was some time since jerry had spoken a word of german but as she stood before gretchen's picture old memories seemed to revive and with them the german word for pretty which she involuntarily spoke aloud low as was the utterance it caught arthur's ear and grasping her shoulder he said what was that what did you say and where did you learn it his manner frightened her 
perhaps the bumblebees were coming out and she drew back from him forgetting entirely what she had said it was a german word he continued and the accent is german too can you speak it unconsciously as he talked he dropped into that language while jerry listened with a strained look on her face as if trying to recall something which came and went but went more than it came if that could be i talked that once she said when i lived with mamma but she is dead harold found her and i put flowers on her grave half the time she was speaking in german or trying to and arthur listened in amazement while his interest in her deepened every moment as he took her through the rooms and showed her the marble people with nothing on them and the beautiful pictures which adorned his walls how would you like to come and be my little girl he asked her at last when remembering harold and the cherries she told him she must go and started toward the window as if she would make her egress as she had come in can harold come too i can't leave harold she said then as she caught sight of him still standing at a distance gazing curiously up at the window through which she had disappeared she called out yes harold i'm coming i have seen him and everything and he did not hurt me good-bye and she turned toward arthur with a little nod then before he could stop her she sprang out upon the ladder and went down faster than she had come up leaving the pail of cherries and leaving too in arthur's breast a tumult of emotions which he could not define that night when frank who had heard of jerry's visit to his brother went up to see him he found him more cheerful and natural than he had seen him in weeks as frank expected his first words were of the little girl who had come to him through the window and left him the cherries of which he said he had eaten so many that he feared they might make him sick what did frank know of the child what had he learned of her history of course he had made inquiries everywhere it was just in the twilight before the gas was lighted and so arthur did not see how his brother's face flushed at first and then grew white as he recapitulated what the reader already knows dwelling at length upon the inquiries he had made in new york all of which had been fruitless there was the name jerine on the child's clothing he said and the initials n b on that of her mother who was evidently french although she must have come from germany yes arthur replied the child is german and interests me greatly her face has haunted me all the afternoon was there nothing in that trunk or the carpet-bag which could be a clue nothing frank replied there were articles of clothing all very plain and a picture-book printed at leipzig i can get that for you if you like though it tells nothing unless it be that the mother lived in leipzig frank talked very rapidly and laid so much stress on leipzig that arthur got an idea that jerry had actually come from there just as his brother meant he should and he began to speak of the town and recall all he knew of it i was never there but once he said for although i spent a great deal of time in germany it was mostly in heidelberg and wiesbaden oh that is lovely wiesbaden and nights now when i cannot sleep i fancy that i am there again in the lovely park and hear the music of the band and see the crowds of people strolling through the grounds and i am there with them though apart from the rest just where a narrow path turns off from a bridge and a seat is half hidden from view behind the thick shrubberies there i sit again with gretchen and feel her hand in mine and her dear head on my arm oh gretchen there was a sob now in his voice and he seemed to be talking to himself rather than to his brother who said to him gretchen lived in wiesbaden then 
yes but for heaven's sake pronounce it with a v and not a w and in three syllables instead of four arthur answered pettishly his ear offended as it always was with a discordant sound or mispronunciation v's badden then frank repeated understanding now why jerry had stumbled over the name when he once spoke it to her clearly she had come from wiesbaden where gretchen had lived and where he believed she had died though he did not tell arthur so he merely said gretchen was your sweetheart i suppose but arthur did not reply he never replied to direct questions as to who gretchen was but after a moment's silence he said you speak of her as something past do you believe she is dead yes i do was frank's decided answer you have never told me who she was though i have my own opinion on the subject and i know you loved her very much and if she loved you as much she did she did she loved me more far more than i deserved was arthur's vehement interruption well then frank continued if she did and were living she would have come to you or answered your letters or sent you some message frank's voice trembled here and he seemed to see again the cold still face of the dead woman whose lips could they have spoken might have unlocked the mystery and brought a message from gretchen true true arthur replied she would have come or written how long is it since i came home four years next october frank said four years arthur went on is it so long as that and it was then years since i had seen her everything was blotted out from my mind from the time i entered that accursed maison de sante until i found myself in paris i am afraid she is dead just then charles came in with lights and the chocolate his master always took before retiring and so frank said good-night and went out upon the broad piazza hoping the night air would cool his heated brow or that the laughter and prattle of jack and maud who were frolicking on the gravel walk would drown the voice which said to him frank tracy you are the biggest rascal living but you have gone too far now to go back people would never respect you again and then there is maud you cannot disgrace her no he could not disgrace his darling maud who as if guessing that he was thinking of her came up the steps to his side and seating herself upon his lap pushed the hair from his forehead and kissed him lovingly my beautiful maud he thought for he knew she would be beautiful with her black hair and starry eyes and brilliant complexion and he loved her with all the strength of his nature to see her grow into womanhood admired and sought after by every one was the desire of his heart and as he believed that money was necessary to the perfect fulfilment of his desire for her sake he would carry his secret to the grave are you sick papa maud asked looking into his face on which the moon shone brightly no pet he answered her only tired i am thinking of little jerry crawford she was here this afternoon yes i saw her in the park with harold isn't he handsome papa and such a nice boy so different from tom maud said and then she went on jerry is pretty too prettier than i am her hair curls and mine doesn't but her dress is so ugly that old high apron and calico gown what makes her so poor and me so rich mr tracy groaned as he replied you are not rich my child oh yes i am maud said i heard mamma tell mrs brinsmaid so 
she said uncle arthur was worth millions and when he died we should have it all because he could not make a will if he wanted to and he had no children of his own maud had heard so much from her mother and others of their prospective wealth that she understood the situation far better than she ought and was already counting on the thousands waiting for her when her uncle died and yet maud tracy had in her nature qualities which were to ripen into a noble womanhood truthful and generous her instincts of right and wrong were very keen and young as she was she had no respect for anything like deception or trickery this her father knew and his bitterest pang of remorse came from the thought what would maud say if she knew and it was more for her sake he was sinning than for his own or that of any other she was so pretty or would be when grown to young ladyhood and the adornments which money could bring would so well become her maud he said at last how would you like to change places with jerry that is let her come here and live while we go away and be poor not quite as she is but like many people and not wear a sash and beads and button boots every day maud interrupted him quickly i should not like it at all why jerry dresses herself and wipes the dishes and wears those big aprons all the time no i don't want to be poor and as if something in her father's mind had communicated itself to her she raised her head from his shoulder and looked beseechingly at him nor shall you be poor if i can help it he said but you must be very kind to jerry and never let her feel that you are richer than she do you understand i think i do maud answered adding as she kissed him fondly and now i suppose i must go for there is hetty come for me so good-night you dearest best papa in the world he knew she believed in him fully and he could not undeceive her he would bear the burden he said to himself there should be no more repining or looking back maud must never know and so jerry's chance was lost the next morning arthur awoke with a racking headache he was accustomed to it it is true but this one was particularly severe it's the cherries no wonder a quart of those sour things would turn upside down any stomach charles said as he glanced at the empty tin pail which was adorning an inlaid table and then suggested a dose of ipecac as a means of dislodging the offending cherries but arthur declined the medicine his stomach was well enough he said it was his head which ached and nothing would help that but the cool little hands he had held in his the previous day charles must go for jerry for he wanted her and as when arthur wanted a thing he wanted it immediately charles was soon on his way to the cottage in the lane where he found the little girl under a tall lilac bush busy with mud pies she was making and talking to herself partly in english and partly in broken german which she had resumed since her visit to the park seemed like something i had dreamed when he talked like that and i could almost do it myself she said to harold when describing the particulars of her interview with mr tracy and her tongue fell naturally into the language of her babyhood on hearing charles's errand her delight was unbounded yes you'll let me go she cried as she stood before mrs crawford with the mud spots on her hands and face and you'll let me wear my best gown now and my white apron with the shoulder straps and my morocco shoes because this is visiting as mrs crawford could see no objection to the plan jerry was soon dressed and on her way to the park tripping along airily with an air of dignity and importance very amusing 
mrs tracy who seldom troubled herself with her brother-in-law's affairs knew nothing of his having sent for jerry and was surprised when she saw her coming up the walk with charles whose manner indicated that he knew perfectly what he was about she had heard of jerry's visit on the previous day and had wondered what arthur could find in that child to interest him when he would never allow maud in his room she did not like jerry because of the three dollars a week which she felt was so much taken from herself and why they should be burdened with the support of the child just because her mother happened to be found dead upon their premises she could not understand only that morning she had spoken to her husband on the subject and asked him how long he proposed to support her just as long as i have a dollar of my own and she needs it was his reply as he left the room slamming the door behind him and leaving her to think him almost as crazy as his brother thus it was not in a very quiet frame of mind that she went out upon the piazza and taking one of the large willow chairs standing there began to rock back and forth and wonder what had so changed her husband making him silent and absent-minded and even irritable at times as he had been that morning was there insanity in his veins as well as in his brother's and would her children inherit it her darling maud of whom she was so proud and who she hoped would some day be the richest heiress in the county and marry dick st clair if indeed she did not look higher it was at this point in her soliloquy that she saw jerry coming up the walk her face glowing with excitement and her manner one of freedom and assurance ascending the steps jerry nodded and smiled at the lady whose expression was not very inviting and who to the child's remark i've comed again answered icily i see you have seems to me you come pretty often turning to charles mrs tracy continued why is she here again so soon what does she want quick to interpret the meaning of the tones of a voice and hearing disapprobation in mrs tracy's jerry's face was shadowed at once and she looked up entreatingly at charles who said mr tracy sent me for her she was with him yesterday and he will have her again to-day then jerry's face brightened and she chimed in i'm visiting i'm invited and i'm going to stay to eat mrs tracy dared not interfere with arthur even if he took jerry to live there altogether and with a bend of her head she signified to charles that the conference was ended come jerry charles said but jerry held back a moment and asked where's maud if mrs tracy heard she did not reply and jerry followed on after charles through the hall and up the broad staircase to the darkened room where arthur lay suffering intense pain in his head and moaning occasionally but he heard the patter of the little feet for he was listening for it and when jerry entered his room he raised himself upon his elbow and reaching the other hand toward her said so you have come again little jerry or perhaps i should call you little cherry considering how you first came to me would you like that name yes was jerry's reply in the quick half-lisping way which made the monosyllable so attractive well then cherry arthur continued take off that bonnet and open the blind behind me then bring that stool and sit where i can look at you while you rub my head with your hands it aches enough to split and i believe the bumblebees are swarming but they can't get out and if they could they are the white-faced kind which never sting 
jerry knew all about white-faced bumblebees for harold had caught them for her and with this fear removed she did as arthur bade her and was soon seated at his side rubbing his forehead where the blue veins were standing out full and round and smoothing his hair caressingly with her fingers which seemed to have in them a healing power for the pain and heat grew less under their touch and after a while arthur fell into a quiet sleep when he awoke after half an hour or so it was with a delicious sense of rest and freedom from pain jerry had dropped the shades to shut out the sunlight and was walking on tiptoe round the room arranging the furniture and talking to herself in whispers as she usually did when playing alone jerry arthur said to her and she was at his side in a moment you are an enchantress the ache is all gone from my head charmed away by your hands now come and sit with me again and tell me all you know of yourself before harold found you where did you live what was your mother's name try and recall all you can jerry however could tell him very little besides the tramp house and the carpet-bag and harold letting her fall in the snow of the cold and the suffering she could recall nothing or of the journey from new york in the cars she did remember something about the ship and her mother's seasickness but where she lived before she went to the ship she could not tell it was a big town she thought and there was music there and a garden and somebody sick that was all everything else was gone entirely except now and then when vague glimpses of something in the past bewildered and perplexed her her pantomime of the dying woman and the child had not been repeated for more than a year for now her acting always took the form of the tragedy in the tramp-house with herself in the carpet-bag and a lay figure dead beside her but gradually as arthur questioned her the old memories began to come back and shape themselves in her mind and she said at last it was like this play you was a sick lady and i was your nurse i can't think of her name i guess i'll call her manny and there must be a baby that's me only i can't think of my name call it jerry then arthur suggested both interested and amused though he did not quite understand what she meant but he was passive in her hands and submitted to have a big handkerchief put over his head for a cap and to hold on his arm the baby she improvised from a sofa cushion of costly plush around which she arranged as a dress an expensive table spread tied with the rich cord and tassel of his dressing-gown you must cry a great deal she said and pray a great deal and kiss the baby a great deal and i must scold you some for crying so much and shake the baby some in the kitchen for making a noise because you know the baby can walk and talk and is me only i can't be both at a time she was not very clear in her explanations but arthur began to have a dim perception of her meaning and did what she bade him to do and rather enjoyed having his face and hands washed with a wet rag and his hair brushed and turled as she called it even though the fingers which turled it sometimes made suspicious journeys to her mouth he cried when she told him to cry he coughed when she told him to cough he kissed the baby when she told him to kiss it he took the medicine from the tin pail in the form of the cherry juice left there and did not have to make believe that it sickened him as she said he must for that was a reality but when she told him he must die but pray first he demurred and asked what he should say jerry hesitated a little she knew that her prayers were our father and now i lay me but it seemed to her that a person dying should say something else and at last she replied 
i can't think what she did say only a lot about him there was a him somewhere and i guess he was naughty so pray for him and the baby that's me and tell manny she must take me to mecky to whom arthur asked and she replied to mecky where he was don't you know arthur did not know but he prayed for him saying what she bade him say a mixture of half english half german there now you are dead she said at last as she closed his eyes and folded his hands upon his chest you are dead and mustn't stir nor breathe no matter how awful we cry manny and i kneeling down beside him she began a cry so like that of two persons that if arthur had not known to the contrary he would have sworn there were two beside him a woman and a child the voice of one shrill and clear and young and frightened the other older and harsher and stronger and both blending together in a most astonishing manner with a little practice she would make a wonderful ventriloquist arthur thought as he watched her flitting about the room talking to unseen people and giving orders with regard to himself once frank had witnessed a pantomime very similar to this only then the play had ended with the death while now there was the burial and when arthur moved a little and asked if he might get up she laid a hand quickly on his mouth with a peremptory hush you are dead and we must bury you but here jerry's memory failed her and the funeral which followed was an imitation of the one which had left the park house three years before and which arthur had watched from his window frank was there and his wife and peterkin and jerry imitated the voices of them all and when someone bade her kiss her mother she stooped and kissed arthur's forehead and said good-bye mamma then throwing a thin tidy over his face she continued now i am going to shut the coffin and as she worked at the corners as if driving down the screws arthur felt as if he were actually being shut out from life and light and the world to one of his superstitious tendencies the whole was terribly real and when at last she told him he was buried and the folks had come back and he could get up the sweat was standing upon his face and hands in great drops and he felt that he had in very truth been present at the obsequies of some one whose death had made an impression so strong upon jerry's mind that time had not erased it there was in his heart no thought of gretchen as there had been in frank's when he was a spectator at the play he had no cause for suspicion and thought only of the child whose restlessness and activity were something appalling to him now what shall we play next she asked as he sat white and trembling in his chair oh nothing nothing he groaned i cannot stand any more now well then you sit still and i'll clean house it needs it badly such mud as that boy brings in i never see and i'm so lame too jerry responded and arthur now recognized mrs crawford whose tidiness and cleanliness were proverbial and for the next half hour he watched the little actress as she limped around the room exactly as mrs crawford limped with her rheumatism sweeping dusting and scolding both to harold and jerry the latter of whom once retorted i wouldn't be so cross as that if i had forty rheumatises in my legs would you harold but harold only answered softly hush jerry you should not speak so to grandma and she's so good to us both when we haven't any mother 
arthur would have laughed so perfect was the imitation of voice and gesture but at the mention of harold's mother there came into his mind a vision of sweet amy crawford who had been his first love and for whose son he had really done so little jerry he said i guess you have cleaned house long enough wash your hands and come to me she obeyed him and looking into his face said now what can you play cat's cradle or casino no i want to talk to you of harold you love him very much oh a hundred bushels him and grandma too and he is very kind to you yes i guess he is he never talks back and i am awful sometimes and once i spit at him and struck him but i was so sorry and cried all night and offered to give him my best doll cause it was the plaything i loved most and i went without my piece of pie so he could have two pieces if he wanted jerry said her voice trembling as she made this confession which gave arthur a better insight into her real character than he had had before hasty impulsive repentant generous and very affectionate he felt sure she was and he continued does harold go to school yes and i too to the district but i hate it jerry replied why hate it arthur asked what is the matter with the district school oh it smells awful there sometimes when it is hot jerry replied with an upward turn to her nose and the boys are so mean some of them bill peterkin goes there and i can't bear him he plagues me so wants to kiss me ah and says i am to be his wife and he's got warts on his thumb jerry's face was sufficiently indicative of the disgust she felt for bill peterkin with his warts and leaning back in his chair arthur laughed heartily as he said and so you don't like bill peterkin well what boys do you like harold and dick st clair was the prompt response and arthur continued what would you have in place of the district school a governess was jerry's answer nina st clair has one and ann eliza peterkin has one and maud tracy has one here jerry stopped suddenly as if struck with a new idea why maud is your little girl isn't she you are her rich uncle and she is to have all your money when you die i wish i was your little girl she spoke the last very sadly and something in the expression of her face brought gretchen to arthur's mind and his voice was choked as he said to her i'd give half my fortune if you were my little girl then laying his hand on her bright hair he questioned her adroitly of her life at the cottage finding that it was a very happy one and that she had never known want although mrs crawford was unable to work as she once had done and was largely dependent upon the price for jerry's board which frank paid regularly on this however jerry did not speak she only said harold works in the furnace and in folks gardens and does lots of things for everybody and once bill peterkin twitted him because he goes to mrs baker's sometimes after stuff for the pig and harold cried and i got up early the next morning and went after it myself and drew the cart home after that grandma wouldn't let harold go for any more and so i suppose the pig will not weigh as much i'm sorry for i like sausage don't you arthur hated it but he did not tell her so and so she went on harold studies awful hard and wants to go to college 
he is trying to learn latin and recites to dick st clair but grandma says it's uphill business oh if i's only rich i'd give it all to harold and he should get learning like dick maybe i can work some time and earn some money i wish i could arthur did not speak for a long time but sat looking at the child whose face now wore an old and troubled look in his mind he was revolving a plan which with his usual precipitancy he resolved to carry into effect at once but he said nothing of it to jerry whose attention was diverted by the entrance of charles and the preparations for luncheon which on the little girl's account was served with more care than usual jerry who had a great liking for everything luxurious had taken tea once or twice at grassy spring with nina st clair and had been greatly impressed with the appointments of the table prizing them more even than the dainties for her to eat but what she had seen there seemed as nothing compared to this round swiss table with its coloured glass and rare china no two pieces of which were alike oh it's just like a dream she cried as she watched charles's movement and saw that there were two places laid am i to sit down with you she said in an awestruck voice and in that lovely chair i am glad i wore my best gown it won't dirty the chair a bit but she took her pocket-handkerchief and covered it over the satin cushion before she dared seat herself in the chair which had once been brought out for gretchen and in which she now sat down dropping her head and shutting her eyes a moment then as she heard no sound she looked up wonderingly and asked ain't you going to say for christ's sake grandma does arthur's face was a study with its mixed expression of surprise amusement and self-reproach he never prayed except it were in some ejaculatory sentences wrung from him in his sore need and the thought of asking a blessing on his food had never occurred to him but jerry was persistent you must say for christ's sake she continued and with his weak brain all in a muddle arthur began what he meant to be a brief thanksgiving but which stretched itself into a lengthy prayer full of the past and of gretchen whom he seemed to be addressing rather than his maker for a while jerry listened reverently then she looked up and moved uneasily in the chair and at last when the prayer had continued for at least five minutes she burst out impulsively oh dear do say amen i am so hungry that broke the spell and with a start arthur came to himself and said thank you jerry praying is a new business for me and i do believe i should have gone on forever if you had not stopped me now what will you have he helped her to whatever she liked best but could eat scarcely anything himself it was sufficient for him to watch jerry sitting there in gretchen's chair and using gretchen's plate which every day for so many years had been laid for her gretchen had not come she would never come he feared but with jerry he did not feel half as desolate as when alone with only his morbid fancies for company and he must have her there at least a portion of the time his mind was made up on that point and when about four o'clock jerry said to him i want to go now grandma said i was to be home by five he replied yes i am going with you i wish to see your grandmother i am going to drive you in the phaeton how would you like that her dancing eyes told him how she would like it and charles was sent to the stable with an order to have the little pony phaeton brought round as soon as possible as he was going for a drive End of chapter eighteen